And there's only one answer that you could possibly come up with, and that is uh, God. God at work in the people. God at work in our lives. Um, It's pretty incredible. Would you pray with me before we begin? Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, God. We lift up these words to you, Lord, that uh, will be spoken. May they be your words, Father. Father, we, as we look into the Old Testament, and as we look at the life of Naaman, we pray, Father, that you would speak to us. We pray that you'd guide us and that you would uh, be glorified today in our lives. But, Father, we come before you and we pray, God, as we search our hearts, that that you would be found. And we pray that you'd guide us now in your precious holy name. Amen. This has been kind of a, a really crazy couple of weeks for me. And I, I really thought of Naaman's life. Um, Julie had brought, brought his story to my mind. And I, I, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, this is really fitting for what I've heard this week and, and last week. And, and the title of my sermon is, It's Terminal. <clears throat> and as I thought about that, it, it, it's a very sobering thought. And one of the scariest words that I think that you could ever hear after visiting a doctor's office is, it's terminal. There's nothing we can do for you. Go home and get your affairs in order because there is no cure. And as I listened to one, one gentleman talk this week, it's really a life-changing word when you start to think about your life and you start to think about It's almost like your days have become numbered. And this morning we are going to look at what, as Julie said in the children's sermon, we're going to be looking at this terminal disease that we are all born with, and that is called sin. This morning I'm going to tell you that there's something else in Ezekiel that I think it's all important that we look at as well. Not only that we are all born in sin, but there is something else that God has in store for us. And it's quite amazing because so many times in life we think about that we're in control. We think we can take care of our own problems. We can handle whatever comes our way. That we can persevere. We think that we are our own people. That we belong. Everything that we are is because of what we have have done. Excuse me. Ezekiel 18.4 says, For every living soul belongs to me. The Father as well as the Son, both alike, belong to me. Every person belongs to God, whether you know it or not. So if you think that you have rights, or if you think that your life isn't fair, it's not about life being fair. It's not about having rights. The reality is, is that you don't even belong to yourself. Isn't that amazing? And if you think about that, and if you're in the world and you're not in Christ, that can be a very sobering time when you have those thoughts. If someone came to you and said that even who you are, what you are does not belong to you. What you have done, what you've accomplished is nothing of yourself. In verse 4, 
of Ezekiel 18 ends with this, the soul who sins is the one who will die. Every person who is ever born on the face of this earth is born with a terminal illness. Every single one of us. We're all born with sin and sin is terminal. This is, just, this is just not an idea or something that I've dreamt up. This is biblical. Every one of us is faced when we are born on the road to a physical death. But even more importantly, we are on the road to a, phys- or a spiritual death as well. And maybe you think that's not fair. What sin did I commit when I was born? And now I'd like us to look. I'm going to turn over to verse 20 of Ezekiel 18. There's so much more to God's word than we ever, that we will ever know. And I believe there, we will learn in, through our entire lives. And verse 20 says, The soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor the father will share the guilt of the son. The righteous of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against him. You know, so many times I, I hear that, in, in, and it's so easy to get caught, in, caught up in it. Well, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know the family that I grew up in. You don't know the pain that I've suffered. Just like your father cannot be credited for your righteousness, he cannot also be credited for your sin. Your sin is your sin. And yes, your circumstances can put you through some pretty tough times and pull you down some very wrong roads. But the fact that you're a sinner is not your mother or your father's fault. Maybe you played the blame game as I have in my life. But your sins are just that. They belong to you. Today we're going to be looking at a man, hearing a story about a man called Naaman. And Julie filled you in on some pretty, pretty good stuff there about who Naaman was. Because you see, Naaman was a, a great man in charge of a great army. He served under King ben, Ben-Hadad. And Naaman was not a godly man, but God used him incredibly to teach Israel a lesson. Naaman didn't believe in God, but he was being used by God in so many ways that Naaman didn't have any idea. Naaman was strong. Naaman was considered to be one of the most well-known good people in his kingdom. Because he led his, his uh, warriors into war and they were always successful. But Naaman had leprosy. And as I thought about that, I thought, how can that be? How, lepers, lepers were usually set apart. Yet Naaman walked around and he went to battle and he led an army against Israel. And Naaman was a leper. It's almost as if Naaman denied He was living in denial for what disease that he had. Nobody lived through leprosy. Usually your life expectancy is 10 to 20 years max. And it's a terrible disease. 
I know a lot of you know what leprosy can be like, but I mean, you're, you lose your senses, you, you lose your nerve endings, you're, you, you hurt yourself, you're, you lose your extremities, you become very disfigured. And yet in Scripture it says Naaman, the meaning of his name is that he was a pretty handsome man. And not only handsome, he was strong. And he was a leader. Yet Naaman had a terminal illness. In Leviticus, you can read about what leprosy does to a person's body, and it's pretty gruesome. But Naaman lived in denial. He didn't believe in God. I don't think Naaman really felt that he had leprosy to the point where it was going to kill him. Because he just charged on. Nothing seemed to slow this man down. Until one day, he met this little girl. And it is so amazing how God speaks through children. Because this little girl gave prophecy to this, to this warrior of what he could do to be clean. And amazing enough, Naaman listened. He thought maybe there is something to this, so he went to ben, his king, Ben-Hadad. And he asked him to write a letter and, um, to the king of Israel and, and ask him if he would help him. So I'm going to begin by reading. We'll go to our first slide in Second Kings, verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram, He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. Right there you can see that they didn't get it, did they? They thought they were going to buy their way out of this. That if they just sent enough money, then the king of Israel and their God could help him. The first obstacle that that Naaman faced in his life was denial that he had leprosy, that he had any problem. The second obstacle that he had was that he didn't realize that he needed healing. And he didn't realize how that healing would take place. So Naaman went, and he brought a letter to the king of Israel. And it was a long journey, and what's, what's even scarier when you think about it is Naaman was going through enemy territory. Naaman had persecuted these people, he had fought against these people, and now he was traveling right through enemy territory, going to a king that he had defeated and asking for help. You, don't, you can only imagine that Naaman must have had a great deal of fear 
and anxiety as he walked and as he headed for Israel. You know, so many times in our life, that's, that's our case too, isn't it? In order for us to find healing, we have to pass through enemy territory. Except the enemies we deal with are a lot of times pride. And we deal maybe with this I can do it attitude that I don't need a God. Things that Naaman actually struggled with, but he didn't even know it. Naaman was the kind of guy that fixed everything. He was the guy that the king went to for answers, and now Naaman was going to a, a king that he fought against, that he, was, he had, war, had war against. The advice that this little girl from Israel must have seemed almost crazy, I would think, wouldn't it? You would think it was a setup. Well, there's this prophet in enemy territory that you can go to. He will heal you. But you know, that's how many times people in our world look at the plan of salvation as well. They look at the plan of salvation and they think, that's enemy territory. Those people are crazy. They don't want anything to do with it. But Acts 4.12 tells us that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Isn't that awesome? Now maybe you never grew up in a Christian home or maybe you grew up in a home that went to church but never lived it. They didn't live the life that they professed to claim on Sunday morning. And maybe this sounds kind of scary to you, this plan of salvation. Maybe you're like Naaman and deep down you realize that you are sick. But if you deny it long enough, maybe it'll go away. Or maybe I can get through this life without ever changing. I really don't need a savior because I'm really not that sick. Maybe this seems kind of far-fetched to you when you think about how easy salvation truly is. Let's go. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Verse 6 says, The letter he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? You see, the king of Israel did not get it. Israel at this time was being punished for their disobedience. And the king did not understand. There's something here that the king was missing. And verse 8 says, When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robe, he sent him a message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Just what the little girl said. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored 
and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. See, Naaman was still counting on that money that he brought. He didn't get it. And he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Naaman was living a fairy tale. He'd heard too many stories. And he goes on to say, Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? See, the waters of Israel at this place um, were kind of like telling someone to go wash in the Red River when you could actually go to Blue Water and get much cleaner. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed, he said. So he turned and went off in a rage. And Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? It's too simple, Naaman. Why don't you listen? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Now, so many times in our Christian lives, we, we miss what God has right before us. He gives us opportunities to serve. He gives us opportunities to reach out to the hurting people around us, and there are many. There are so many, if you just open your eyes and you could see. There are a lot of people that are in our communities And they are like lepers. They have a terminal illness and they're no different than us. Only we are blessed with being cleansed. Nothing of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Totally by his gift. By his stripes we are healed. And that's the story we need to tell. And we need to not only tell it, we need to put our feet to it. We need to put our hands to it and we need to get to work. Because there are so many around us that need to hear the Savior's voice. They need to see his life. And the only way they see that is through us. So I would just ask you this morning to search your hearts as I close in prayer that you would just Seek God's will for your life and and what he's calling you to do, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Is there someone in need, someone that is blinded by the world for what they've been told? Or maybe they've had a bad experience in a church that has kept them from coming back. Or maybe they've, they've wandered away maybe from what they were raised with, but they never really fully grasped what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a holy God, and we just praise you for that. And Lord, we thank you for the miracles that we can read about as we think of Naaman's life. We think of how Naaman turned to you. And Father, that as he visited with Elisha and he 
he asked Elisha if he could take as much soil as his donkey could carry back with him to his homeland. Her father Naaman understood one thing that we need to understand. It's that when he realized where his salvation, where his cleansing came from, that's the soil he wanted to pray on. That's where he wanted to stand. And Father, even though that was a custom back then, we can take something from it today. That when we walk in you, when our relationship is in you, that we need to bring that with us wherever we go. That we would stand on your soil. Father, that we would not go back into the world and to get caught up in the busyness and, and the clutter of lives that so easily can plague us and almost become an illness. Father, help us to bring that soil with us as Naaman did. Help us to lay it down wherever we go, God, and just to stand on that soil and to realize that you are holy, that you are God. There is no other. Salvation is found in no one else except in your Son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for that. We thank you for you that promise that you would never leave us nor forsake us, even through the trials that we face every day. There is a time when we come to, see, to you and we need to surrender, not just halfway, but fully, and that you would lift us up. Father, we thank you now and praise you and we thank you for your holy words and we look forward to the day when we can stand before you and call you Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen.